Today and for the next three days, I am sharing a training that I co-hosted with Jess Gertner all about the Enneagram for entrepreneurs. Jess is an Enneagram coach where she works with clients one-on-one and in group coaching environments as well as in virtual workshops and trainings. She's also a managing director with Beauty Counter and the co-host of one of my favorites, the Modern Mamas podcast. Jess is one of my favorite people that I've met through the internet, and she has a wealth of knowledge on the Enneagram. If you aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's a personality test that, like all the others, helps you to better understand yourself better. However, where I think that it differs from others and where I think it's better than others is that it helps you to show up for those around you in a way that feels very supportive to them because everybody has their own unique needs and it's not something you know until you really dive into the Enneagram, you can figure out how to support people in a way that feels supportive to them. So whether you are a coach, a mentor, you work one-on-one with clients, you work in group settings, or even if you are writing sales copy for online courses, having a thorough understanding of all the Enneagram types will be an invaluable asset. In today's episode, Jess shares a shallow dive into each Enneagram type, and then starting tomorrow, you will get three mini episodes each day for three days. Jess and I recorded one mini episode for each type where we deep dived into the type and shared very actionable information on how to make your entrepreneurial journey easier based on your Enneagram type. You can use these mini episodes however you like, whether you just listen to the one that you think your Enneagram type is, or maybe you dive into each of them so that you know how to support those around you better. I'm really stoked to share this resource with you, so let's get to it. Ever feel like your passion project is not getting the respect it deserves? And no matter what strategy you try or course you buy, you can't seem to make enough money. Welcome to the Profit Meets Passion podcast. Each week, you'll hear from wellness entrepreneurs who have made running their own business their main moneymaker. You'll find inspiration and actionable tips to implement so you can increase your impact and income. I'm Anne-Marie. Let's get to it. Let's get started with the specifics about the Enneagram. Tell us what the Enneagram is for somebody who like absolutely does not know a thing about it. Yeah. So the Enneagram, it's kind of like, it's confusing. It looks like one of these mystical things. There's a diagram and there's numbers and there's lines and sometimes there's colors and it looks a little bit daunting from the outside looking in. But essentially what, what the Enneagram is, and this is actually a quote that I, I always say when people ask me because I feel like Ian Cron like nailed this and Suzanne Stabile nailed this in their book. If you don't know who they are, they're like the Enneagram experts of the world. But they said the purpose of the Enneagram is to show us how we can release the paralyzing arthritic grip we've kept on old self-defeating ways of living so we can open ourselves to experiencing more interior freedom to become our best selves. So that is like what it is in a nutshell, but also kind of vague. But basically it's this tool 
I think, for self-awareness that allows you to better understand yourself, your motives, why you do the things you do, and also not just yourself, but also understanding the, the people in the world around you. It allows you to extend compassion to other people when you start to understand that not everybody views the world in the way that you do. And that is like in a nutshell for the Enneagram. It shows you, I like to, the analogy of we're all just driving along this highway and you know those bumpers that if you veer off to the side, it's like this obnoxiously loud sound that kind of warns you to get back on track. I think the information that the Enneagram can give you is basically it serves as some of those bumpers. It, it tells you how you are in periods of health and unhealth. And so the more aware we are of our behaviors in those times, the more we can realize when those times are happening and kind of course correct and get back on track. And it also shows you where you can go in terms of like, most of us are living in this average autopilot type life where we're kind of not really living our best life, but we're not doing too bad. Just, you know, kind of here for the ride. And the Enneagram shows you that you, how you can be your gifts, your, what brings you joy, what would essentially feel like you living your authentic self and how to get there. So essentially it's a, like a glorified and to be honest right now, it's very trendy personality (laughs) test, but it goes a step beyond a personality test that kind of just tells you about yourself and more about how you can interact with other people and how you can grow to become a better leader, a better entrepreneur, a better business owner, like all of those things. Oh my gosh, 100%. And, and you know, people will ask me like, well, why, why the Enneagram? Why not Myers-Briggs or why not Finders or why not, you know, the four tendencies? And I think what I found, because I love personality tests, I love learning about myself and most people do. Um, but what I found with those, the other personality tests that I've taken in the past is that it tells you about yourself, but it doesn't, but, but what are you supposed to do with it? Right? Like, okay, cool. I have an ENTP. I don't even remember what I am actually. And so what does that mean? What do I do with that information? And where I think the Enneagram takes it a step further is it actually gives you kind of like a roadmap and a guide. And it's so nuanced because a lot of people will resist taking personality tests, specifically the Enneagram, for example, like, I don't want to be put in a box. And my, my fa- another one of my favorite quotes about the Enneagram is that it doesn't, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box that you put yourself in and how to get out of it if you want to. And I think that's where the Enneagram takes it a step further. It's like, it's so much more nuanced. And for example, there are nine numbers that are kind of, if you look at the Enneagram diagram, Ennea means nine, gram means diagram, um, and it's a circle, and there's nine numbers around this circle, and for example, I'm a nine, and a lot of times people will be like, okay, you're, you're just a nine, or I'm just a nine, and kind of like chalk it up to like nine behavior, but it's really, no two nines are the same, and they're so nuanced, and there's ways that they're nuanced with when we look at wings and subtypes, which we haven't dove into it all yet wings and subtypes and growth and stress and levels of health and unhealth and it just is so much more deep to me than any personality test I've ever taken you know the thing that I found most impactful of the Enneagram and the only one that I can think was the like equally as impactful and maybe not even quite as much was the five love languages learning Mm -hmm. that about my husband 
was so transformative in our relationship because I knew then how to communicate my love to him because it was like the way he would show love to me. I would assume that's how he wanted to be, how he wanted to receive love. And it wasn't. So learning that really transformed our relationship. Well, I can say the same thing about the Enneagram, but not just with those that you are in a loving relationship with, but anybody that you interact mm-hmm. with. It, just like you said, it allows you to understand where they're coming from and why they react in the ways that they do. And it helps you to communicate with them in a way that isn't going to, that's actually going to make them grow more as a person, Mm -hmm. as opposed to something that might make them feel criticized or criticize themselves, depending on their types. But yeah, when I found out my husband's personality type, it was, I know you're not supposed to (laughs) Although he did get it. Um, But I was listening to The Road Back to You. And I think, didn't you reference that book a little Mm -hmm. bit ago? Yes. Um, So The Road Back to You, I was listening to it on audiobook. And he shared something like, oh, if you're in an argument with this number, you might hear them say, and it was like giving examples. I was like, I have literally heard every single one of these. It was so crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy how accurate it is when you can, when you really start like digging in deep, but it's like, you know, I think we as, as individuals, whether it's in a romantic relationship, a business relationship, a friendship, whatever it may be, we humans, and don't take this the wrong way, but humans are selfish in that we think that people think, act, you know, feel the same way that we do process emotions and life events the same way that we do. And it's hard when we encounter someone who we're we're not meshing with, or we don't understand them. We're like, Oh my gosh, this person's from another planet. Or I feel like we're not on the same page at all. And it's kind of shocking to our system because we think that, that people think and feel and act the same way that we do. And what the Enneagram shows us is that there are essentially nine based on the Enneagram, obviously, um, this is one way to look at the world, but nine valid perspectives for everyday life circumstances. So these are the lenses in which these unique types of people see the world. And there's a lot of similarities. And that's kind of how the Enneagram was was created and finding those similarities, finding these patterns and behavior based on these unique life perspectives. And so for instance, you know, I have my nine goggles on and I see the world because I'm a nine, I see the world in a way that kind of forces me to interact with myself and with others um, in a very specific and almost predictable pattern. So I want to avoid conflict at all costs, all costs. I want inner and outer peace. That's my total, like that is what I'm striving to do. But when I'm looking at my eight friends, which we'll dive into some more too, they're the protective challengers. I'm the peaceful mediator. It's quite the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like they have to engage in conflict. That's just the way that they move through the world. And so we're completely different. And now that I understand my eight friends a lot more, I feel better equipped to engage with them in life, knowing that they're not engaging with, they're not starting conflict with me, just get me upset or to rile me up. But this is truly the way that they communicate. And so I don't know, it's eye opening. It really Mm is. And it's funny because I am, I'm like you in that I really don't like conflict, but most of my friends, like my closest friends are all eights. 
So it's, it's really interesting that maybe I gravitated towards that personality type because not do, it's not that they, they like to start conflict, but, and you can probably explain this better. It's not my type and you're the coach here, but like they <laughs> advocate for what they really believe in. They stand up for themselves and all these things. And maybe I like wanted somebody to do that for me. Like I wanted to have that type of person on my side. It's just really interesting to kind of see to kind of see these types play out in your relationship. So let's not delay it any further. Um, Do you want to go through a quick overview of all the types? Yes, I do. I would love to. So the, the nine basic types. So we have, I'll start with one. One is I'll just give them all. And then do you want me to dive into like specifics after that? Yeah, let's, yeah. Sounds great. Okay. So the first one is the moral perfectionist that those are ones. Um, and again, there's different, these are like archetypal descriptions. There's very general descriptions and some people will call them different things. So just be aware that you might read about it somewhere else and it has a different name, but I really gravitate towards these descriptions of, of the types, but one is the moral perfectionist. They also can be known as like the reformer in some Enneagram circles. Um, The supportive advisor, sometimes called the helper, is the twos. Three is the successful achiever. Four is the romantic individualist. Five is the investigative thinker. Six is the loyal guardian. Seven is the entertaining optimist. And eight is the protective challenger. Nine is the peaceful mediator. So those are the nine types, the the archetypal types. What what are you? I am... I'm a three who displays a ton of one tendencies, but the like key motivator behind a one is totally not me. Okay. Do you, what do you know your wing? I'm a wing four. If I had to guess, I don't feel like a wing two. Okay. Well, it's funny because you're not supposed to type people, but I was wondering if you were a four or a three. Mm -hmm. And so I, I see a lot of, of, and we'll dive into that too. I see a lot of four like in your artistic and creativity and like just some different qualities, which is really interesting. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I I thought I was a one because I like the perfectionistic tendencies, all of that mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. align. But then when I read the road back to you and found out about ones being part of the anger triad and they hold on to anger and grudges. So, so could not be the opposite of me. Like I, (laughs) do not have any grudges whatsoever. Not even for like a minute. Well, that's good. Well, and it's good that you know yourself too. And a lot of times it's, it's hard. And again, before we dive into some of this stuff, we're going to be talking about um, healthy and unhealthy qualities. Sometimes it's called the shadow side. And when you hear the, my description of like unhealthy qualities of certain types, just know that none of this is there's no judgment involved in these behaviors. It's simply an observation of how certain types can behave when they are not in their most healthy like point in life or mindset or and and again, healthy and unhealthy can fluctuate any on a given moment throughout the day. I mean, like one minute you could be like totally happy, healthy and feeling great. The next minute you could get a phone call that really stresses you out. And so those are constantly fluctuating. So I just want everyone to know before we dive in, there's no judgment on any of these behaviors. There's no type that's better than the other. They're all very necessary for the world to go around. And also take note, if you're learning about the Enneagram for the first time, 
you know, as you're listening about the different types, take note of the ones that make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's almost like someone's lifted a curtain back and we are seeing you like you're good and you're bad. And sometimes when people are first learning about themselves, that reaction can feel really uncomfortable. It can make you feel like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that about myself. I don't like thinking that I am, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is, those negative qualities that make you uncomfortable. Typically, that's almost a telltale sign that that might be your number if you feel really uncomfortable once you hear the details of that number. I have to interrupt you there because, so you haven't heard the first episode of this podcast yet, but in that I talked to my friend Whitney about my type and what it felt like when I first learned my type and it was exactly what you're experiencing, like (laughs) explaining. It's like, I was ashamed of my number and I was ashamed of what that said about me. And it was Mm -hmm. like my entire life. I knew these things about myself, but I was too ashamed to admit them even to myself. So I would say things out loud that like, that's not who I am. That's not what I care about, but it really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's powerful. And I think that's the first step, right? The first step to self-awareness and to going beyond and to really fully integrating and living as authentically you is to accept the good and the bad. We all have shadow side or whatever it is that you want to call it. We all, you know, have great intentions, but we also, you know, have the ability to act in unhealthy ways or be motivated by things that are not the same as other people. And it's not that's necessarily good or bad. It's just information. Yeah. I've accepted it about myself now and I've reframed my viewing of it so that I'm not really ashamed of it. But yeah, it was, it was something I had to work through. Yeah, totally. And it's like me as a nine, sometimes when I hear myself, like I hear descriptions of myself and I'm like, oh, I'm like a soft, slothy pushover who doesn't like stand up for herself. And it makes me feel yucky inside. But at the same time, I also know that like part of my pathway to growth is to move through that and beyond that, you know, so like to engage in healthy conflict, to show up and and assert myself um, and to use my voice. And so it's not just saying that like, well, this is who you are because you're a three, like this is what you're doing. You're chasing success. It's, you can change, you can reframe, you can become more aware, you can, you know, pivot, you can learn to do things differently if you want to. And so there's just so much room for growth with the Enneagram. I feel yep, like I agree. And I've already seen it myself yeah. and even in my relationships with other people. So I'm going to let you go into giving a little bit more specifics about each type. And I want to, when you get to three, I want to interrupt you about a meme of a one and a three. So people can kind of see how <laughs> okay. like, how there is overlap and how you can relate to right. multiples and why you really should take a test to find out like what your key motivator is. Cause you might kind of feel yourself aligning to one type or another. Before I jump into, I just know that there are things called wings um, that also add nuances to your number. Everybody has wings to some degree and they can be, wing dominance exists on a spectrum. Some can have very strong wings and some can have very like minimal effect with their wings, but wings are the numbers beside you on the Enneagram. So for instance, as a three, you can have a four or a two wing. As a nine, I can have an eight or a one 
one wing. And these are things that are just going to add flavor and nuance to my type. So a nine with an eight wing is going to look completely different than a nine with a one wing. And I don't know, that's probably beyond this like surface level dive into each of the types, but definitely interesting to look into and to get more information about yourself. And then there's also arrows and lines. Again, these are the lines that you kind of see all over the place when you're looking at Enneagram diagrams. And we'll touch on those a little bit too, but it shows you that, so for instance, I use the nine because I'm familiar with it. As a nine, when I am healthy, I take on the positive qualities of a type three. That's where I go to in health. And then when I'm unhealthy, I take on the negative qualities of a type six. And so that's my behaviors will start to mimic those, those qualities of a type six. So those again are things that just give like, there's like 50 shades of gray in the Enneagram. Like a nine can look so many different ways because of these small little attributes that are also part of the Enneagram. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes some people more open to the Enneagram if they aren't open to other personality typings, because other types are more very rigid, whereas this shows a lot of fluctuation and a lot of variation. And it's not just everybody falls into these nine boxes, but you can be at any, like, you know, you, there's 10 different areas of health or unhealth within each type. And then you add in the wings and then you add in stress and growth and all of these things that can vary what your outward reflection looks like of your mm -hmm. type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, so let's dive in. We'll do, so the first one is type one. They're the moral perfectionists. And what you're going to hear over and over again with each number as their, as their descriptors are their core fears, their core desires, their weakness, and their longing. And these are different for every number. So pay attention when you, and taking a test is one part of figuring out who you are. It's not the be all end all. And I will say, I've taken many, many Enneagram tests. And especially in the beginning, when I was taking the test, I was getting that I was a three all over and over and over again. And I was like, you know, I just don't know. Like, I don't really feel like I'm a three, like the core fears and desires don't really resonate. And come to find out, I was taking the test based on my outward behavior, not necessarily my inner motivation. So I was answering them based on like my behaviors, my outward behaviors. And that can look a lot different. So our outward behaviors can look very similar to other people, but the inner motivation is different, obviously. And so when I really dug into it and read about people, about read about the types, I realized that I much more resonated with a nine and I look like a three when I'm healthy, which, you know, for the most part, the better part of my like early to mid thirties, feel like I've been in a pretty good place of health. So that's why it can get a little bit some, sometimes tests aren't the be all end all. Yeah. So, that, that happened yeah. to me too. Like I would yeah. test as a one because that's mm -hmm. kind of where like my big, you know, perfectionistic tendencies would kind of come out mm -hmm. there. And it wasn't until I listened to that audio book that I was like, this is not my key mot motivator, which is that the, is that the way that you can really determine your type is finding your key motivation? Yeah. So like really listen Yes. Really listen intently to your core fears and desires. And you also want to take note that not everything that you read about your number is going to resonate hundred percent. And that's, again, it goes back to nuances and subtypes and individual differences. Uh, and that's okay. It's really the one that most resonates with you, but I would definitely really tune your ear to core fears and core desires, core fears and core desires. 
um, over and over and over again, kind of listen to those. But yeah, you ready to dive in? Yep. So type one is a moral perfectionist and their core fear is being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, or corruptible. Their core desire is to have integrity, to be right, virtuous, and good. I'm doing that in quotation, quotation marks. And all that's fine and dandy, but with the one, it can deteriorate into very critical perfectionism, which of course we know too much of a good thing. You know, wanting to be perfect can be a bad thing. Their weakness is resentment. And so again, a lot of this is going to feel kind of ugh to hear, but it's resentment in the sense that it's anger that's been repressed. So eight signs and ones are in the gut triad. They deal with anger and they all deal with anger differently. Ones repress it. So they're pushing it down, but it's seeping out in the form of criticism, criticism <clears throat> of themselves and of others, because ones have very high standards. And sometimes it's really hard for a one to not understand why people aren't doing it the way that they would have it done, when they want it done, how they want it done, um, and to their standards. So that's where resentment can kind of seep in. Their core longing is just to hear that they're, that they're good. They're very principled, purposeful, self-controlled. They can be perfectionistic, perfectionistic, but they're also just incredibly ethical, reliable, productive people, honest, um, very orderly, and very self-disciplined. But again, on their shadow side, they can become judgmental. They're kind of inflexible a lot. They can latch on to some dogma from time to time, become a little bit controlling. They can suffer from anxiety. And so those are some of the things that you want to look at in terms of if you are one or if you have a one in your life. And then I'll just mention these offhand. I won't go too deep into them because I know we don't have like a ton of time to dive super deep, but they also, when they're healthy, they go to the positive side of a type seven. And when they're unhealthy, they actually take on the unhealthy characteristics of a type four. So I guess the way you could use that information is, and we'll give a little insight into what you can expect moving forward from this episode, but the way you can use that information about your wings is if you find out what your, or about your periods of stress and growth is to listen to those types and start to see like, okay, during periods of growth, of growth, what does an, un, or what does a healthy seven, is that what you said? Seven? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you explain this? Because I'm sure you can okay, explain it better. Cool. Yeah. So like during periods of growth, so as a one, when I'm healthy, I'll just pretend like I'm a one. When I'm a healthy one, I'm going to actually take on the healthy character characteristics of a seven. And that's that means a one's going to become less critical, more self-accepting. They're going to be more free and relaxed and open and optimistic. And they're just going to be more spontaneous. One's default is not spontaneity. They like to plan, but you can probably see a one in their element on vacation because they plan this vacation to a T and now they can relax and you're going to take on some of those seven qualities. So that's kind of how it, it reflects in terms of growth. And then again, when you're unhealthy, so a one is going to move to the four, the unhealthy characteristics of a four, and they're going to start to really feel like personally slighted that their expectations are not being met by others. And they're going to actually start to turn that anger inward. And they may tend towards like melancholy, even some like depressive moments. Perfect. So you can go and and research what those two numbers are and look at their healthy or unhealthy 
-hmm. kind of outward expressions and you'll, you might be able to see yourself in that. Yeah, totally. And I think when we're doing the, when we do the mini episodes, I'm going to hit on a lot of that too, because we'll specifically talk about some like of the positive traits and the negative traits. And so we'll hit on some of that as well, a little bit deeper. Awesome. So two is the supportive advisor and twos are probably the most physically demonstrative for the most part of all the numbers on the Enneagram. They move through life solely focused on their, how are their relationships doing? Their relationships with other people are very important. So their core fears are being worthless, needy, inconsequential, dispensable, or unworthy of being loved. And their core desire is to be loved and wanted. And of course, like most people want to be loved and wanted, but for a two, this can really deteriorate into that, that like need to be needed um, and a little bit of codependency in a state of unhealth, right? And so their core weakness is actually pride, but it's not pride and like, ooh, look at me, I'm so great. It's more their inability or unwillingness to acknowledge that they have their own needs and that they have experienced pain and they don't want to acknowledge that. They feel like they are above that. Like they don't need anything from anyone and other people's needs are more important than their own. And it's just not true because we all need like support and to feel our needs and desires and and all that stuff is being heard and met. Um, Their core longing is to, to know that they are wanted and loved just for being themselves. So that's big. That's big for a two. Twos are going to be very loving, compassionate, adaptable people. They're probably the most nurturing of all the numbers. They're very generous, hospitable. They're great hosts. And they're very like tuned into how people feel. A two will walk into a room and be like, who can I help? Like that's their default mode. Like who needs me? Like they'll come up and be like, how are you? And then when you ask them how they're doing, their default answer is like, oh, I'm great. How are you? So let's like reflect back, like turn the spotlight back off me, back onto you. At their worst, worst though, they are going to take on some of the, the negative qualities of a type eight. And that's going to be, they're going to be a little bit manipulative with their time and attention and love. They can become possessive. They can be prone to flattery. They can be a little bit needy, overly accommodating, kind of like wearing themselves thin and helping everybody. And they can kind of use that when they're unhealthy, like, oh, but I helped you. Like, why aren't you helping me? But they have a hard time asking for help. They just expect the the things that they're doing to be reciprocated in kind. So that's the kind of the twos when they're not in, in such a great place. And they move towards a type four when they're healthy and a type eight when they're unhealthy. I didn't know that about the type eight. Yeah. It's kind of crazy because it feels like they're almost opposite twos and eights, but they, they move to each other in growth and stress, which is very interesting. Eights actually take on the healthy qualities of a type two when they are in a good place. And since just to kind of put this into a perspective of like wellness entrepreneurs, I feel like a two would make a really great one-on-one nutrition coach because mm-hmm. they, they do have that like really caring tendencies. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we'll talk about like, does each type make a good entrepreneur? And every type has the ability to be a great entrepreneur. I think it just depends on what you're choosing to do. A two is going to shine in any business where they believe that they are providing a service that is important to other people, that they're supporting other people, whether that's coaching, mentorship, like, you know, helping someone with a healthy lifestyle. I mean, a two can really, really shine in that 
that mode. So the three is the successful achiever. And it's funny, we'll talk about this too in the mini episodes. Like most people are like, God, threes are such amazing entrepreneurs. And they're like the quintessential, like they have everything inside of them to be an entrepreneur. Um, and it's true. It really is true. I would say that the three's natural default is, you know, they would adapt well to entrepreneurship or business, anything in business for certain reasons. But again, all the types can have success in business. But let's talk about the three and why they are particularly suited for something like business or entrepreneurship. They're called a successful achiever. That's in a nutshell, tells you a lot about them. But their core fear is a failing, being incompetent, being inefficient, exposed, worthless, or unable to appear successful. So that's their core fear. That's what's, what's, and their core desire, which is also pushing them, is to be valuable, admired, and respected, which is totally fine. All of us want that to some degree. But for threes, this can really deteriorate to chasing after success at almost all costs, at cost to their own health at cost to um, relationships sometimes, cost to their own emotions, if that makes sense. And their weakness is deceit. And it's not deceit in the fact that they're just like liars. They're not. And again, I, I resonate a lot with threes because I go here in health. So it's important for me to like really make sure they're not misunderstood. But this deceit is really more self-deception. They can tend to deceive themselves into thinking that they're only the image that they have presented to the world through their success and achievements. And threes, they're a part of the heart triad, right? And they, they're struggling with shame and it's different. It's different than like the twos and the fours. And they probably have, it's not that they're emotionless, but they sometimes have a hard time tapping into their own emotions and how they feel and sharing those because they are chameleons. A three can walk into a room and sense the room. They're very, they're empathic in a different way. What they're sensing is who do I need to be in this room? Do I need to tone myself down? Do I need to become a leader? Do I need to be the friend here? Do I need to be a mentor? Like who do I need to be to work this room? Essentially, it's a gift. A three in their element, you're just like, whoa, what is happening? They make you feel noticed and important and they make you feel safe and led and so that is kind of the three superpower and their core longing is to know that they're loved and valued just for being themselves they do not have to earn love through achievements and success so that's the three and again they're incredibly optimistic humans they're self-affirming industrious they're very efficient self-disciplined energetic they can um, they're goal-oriented and they're great team builders and at their worst, like I said, they can be a little deceptive. Sometimes it's hard for them to acknowledge when things, when they aren't at the top or when things aren't going their way, they can be sometimes pretentious, sometimes vain, superficial, overly competitive, and they can tend towards um, workaholism um, because that's their default method. They don't, they're like, they're ready to work at any given moment. So that's the three in a nutshell. And when they're healthy, they take on the positive characteristics of a type six. And when they're unhealthy, they take on the unhealthy characteristics of a type nine. How does that make you feel, Anne? (laughs) (laughs) Even when you're like, okay, the decept, you know, whole thing about deception and how I was literally lying to people about like, I'm not a competitive person. I don't care about these things. Like, 
I was saying that outwardly, but I was also mm. convinced myself that that's not who I was. Like mm. I was deceiving everything until I got a test result that said that I was a three more than a one. So I really started looking at it and like doing this inward work. And I was like, oh my gosh, this truly is me. And then I read it to my husband and he's like, yeah, I mean, you, you're like constantly looking for other people to, to see the work that you did and the achievements Mm -hmm. that you have. I mean, little things like I cleaned the garage and my mom comes over to visit and I'm like, mom, come look at how good the garage looks. (laughs) (laughs) Everything like little things like that. And then, okay. So this is the funny meme. And this is the my favorite part of the Enneagram is since it is so trendy, there are a lot of Instagram accounts that put me oh, yeah. out for it. So definitely go look at those. One of my favorites is Enneagram and Coffee. And my friend sent me this right after I was telling her, like, can I just help you put together a sales funnel for your one-on-one coaching? Because I would love that. <laughs> okay. So that's what I said to her. <laughs> so she sends me this meme that says, when you become friends with a type three and they take on your success as a project. <laughs> That is so true. I think you've done that with me as well. Like yeah, yeah. I just like you get personally invested in the success of not just yourself, but like other people. And that's incredible. I think it's a superpower, but it's hilarious and true. I love that so, so much. Love me some threes. Okay. So type four is the romantic individualist and type fours I love all the numbers and I, I almost say that after every number that I read because I really do. I think they're also valuable. And particularly, I want to say this about fours because oftentimes fours feel like sad to be a four sometimes. Um, and I want to like, just put that out there that fours are beautiful and creative, unique individuals. Um, and I just love them so much. And the four, so the romantic individualist, their core fear is being inadequate emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or being without significance. Their core desire is to be unique, special, and their authentic self, which we all want that, right? But it can deteriorate for a four into some self-indulgence. Fours really move through the world believing that they have something, they're missing out on something that everyone else has, this like special quality that makes them unique and special. Um, Fours think they don't have that. And so their, their weakness is envy and it's really more a feeling that like i said something is fundamentally missing in themselves and that other people have it and they don't understand and they want to know what it is and this this can lead them to really uh, not seeing the the true blessings and value that they have um, and not really showing up and blessing other people with their gifts their core longing is to be seen and loved for exactly who they are, special and unique. And so fours are, they tend to be very expressive, very oftentimes dramatic. You might be like, whoa, there's a lot of like hand flinging and like expressiveness going on here. But they're so authentic. They're very warm, compassionate. They're okay with feelings. Fours are the most like okay with both positive and negative feelings they're like they they tend towards melancholy and sometimes fours will be like i just want to put on a sad record and drink my cup of coffee while it's raining outside and just sit here and be sad a little bit whereas like some other numbers would be like please get me out of this like cheer me up fours are like it's okay like i'm cool here so they're very introspective they're creative expressive and oftentimes very refined but at their worst they can become withdrawn 
They can have very exaggerated mood swings. They can tend towards more depressive moods. You know, if things are feeling, if they're feeling a little bit down, they can be self-pitying, um, stubborn, and a little bit possessive. When they are healthy, they're actually going to move and take on the positive qualities of a type one. And when they're unhealthy, they're going to take on the negative qualities of a type two. So that is a four in a nutshell. Fours are, fours probably of all the numbers might tend to gravitate towards the arts or alternative medicine or like yoga or, you know, acting or singing or ex- something that's like allows them express expression. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, to be honest, four through, even though I think that's my wing, four through seven, I know the least about. So I'm kind of going to let you take it from here because I don't really know a lot about okay, this. Okay, cool. I love these numbers. Okay. So two, three, and four, those were in the heart triad and they deal with shame um, and resentment. And again, I'm not going to dive too deep into those, but those will kind of give you a little bit more information to kind of do a little bit of research on. So five, six, and seven are in the head triad and they are dealing with fear and anxiety. And it looks different in each number. Okay. So five is the investigative thinker. Fives are near and dear to my heart. My husband's a five. And they are probably the most introverted of all the numbers. And all, let me just say this, every single number can have, can, you can be an introverted or extroverted one or two or three or whatever. And those are not unique to any one specific type. However, fives might have, the majority of fives might proclaim themselves as introverts. And their fear is being annihilated. And it's not annihilated like... I don't know, like blown up or something. It's more just like catastrophically depleted, being ignorant, invaded, incapable, not existing, or obligations being placed upon them. Their core desire is to be capable and competent. We all want that, but for fives, it can deteriorate into useless specialization. And, and you know, their core weakness is avarice, which is kind of like greed, but it's not greed and like, oh my gosh, I just want all the money and all the things. It's they feel that they really lack the inner resources that everyone else has and that too much interaction with others. So it really has to do with their relational interaction will lead to this catastrophic depletion really leads to them withholding themselves um, in personal relationships and contacts with others. And they're just trying to like hoard their resources and minimize their own needs and like protect themselves essentially. Their core longing is to know that their needs are not a problem. Fives crave knowledge, crave it. Like they, like a little anecdote is like my five husband has like literally seven unfinished different books on his nightstand about topics that I'm like, what in the world? It's like screenplay writing, user experience design, like quantum physics. And it's like just crazy because fives just desire knowledge. They feel like it's going to make them feel more competent. Another anecdote about fives is like, if all of the numbers wake up every morning and we're like, we're like little iPhones and our battery is at hundred percent because we wake up and we're recharged and we're refreshed and we're ready to go engage with the world. Fives generally wake up and their battery is like 5% even when they wake, like wake up fully charged, their capacity for people um, and interaction is way, way lower than pretty much every other number on the Enneagram. So that's something to take note of. My five husband, he doesn't like parties. He doesn't do small talk. He doesn't, I mean, he's got to like really know you 
to want to connect with you. And so hashtag you might be a five if any of those things resonate with you. But fives are analytical. They're incredibly innovative. They're actually sensitive, even though most people describe them as the least emotional of all of the the numbers because they look at the world very objectively. Um, through data and knowledge and emotions don't really play into that, but they're actually very sensitive. Um, They're wise, very perceptive and curious people, but at their worst, they can, you know, become intellectually arrogant, stingy, stubborn. They can be distant, critical of others, unassertive, and kind of cynical. When they are healthy, they actually move towards the positive qualities of a type eight. And when they're unhealthy, they take on the negative qualities of a type seven. Yeah. So like most fives are like, yep, I'm five. A lot of more males tend to gravitate towards fives or tend to like show up as a five, even though I think some females won't, they are fives, but they won't test as a five because we've been conditioned in so many different ways to like be like introvertedness is not good and you need to be take care of other people. And it's important for you to be like, like a relational. And so sometimes those societal expectations can skew test results, but I actually have a lot of five females on my beauty counter team, which is kind of interesting. And they, they gravitate towards beauty counter, I think because of the education and the ability for them to really deep dive into the knowledge of like the beauty industry and sourcing and testing and advocacy. There's like so much meat there for them. But again, if we're talking about entrepreneurship where a five can struggle is then like putting that information to play. Like, what do I do with all this information? They think once they know everything that they'll feel comfortable actually doing something about it. And the truth is like for a five, you never are going to know everything. And so so like a five might buy every single online course about entrepreneurship that they can not know how to apply Uh it. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. That makes sense. They'll be like serial course buyers like my husband he's bought so many courses and it we're a good balance because i'm like okay now go do it right <laughs> like pushing him like you know everything there is about email list building but like can you help me like build my list <laughs> he's, he's eyeing me right now <laughs> so yeah they might struggle with that and we'll talk about that in their episode too so six is the loyal guardian and six is there's an anecdote and I haven't seen this like proved anywhere, but apparently there's supposed to be more sixes than any other number, at least in the U S um, and the six, the loyal guardian. So their fear is fear itself uh, being without support or guidance, being alone, blamed, targeted, or physically abandoned. Their core desires to have security guidance and support. And this can, you know, we all want that again, but this can deteriorate into an attachment to beliefs. So they're very, they can sometimes get caught up in like group think and very hard to detach from who they are as an individual and who they are as part of a larger group. So that's where a a six is very much like, and they're very loyal, very, very responsible humans. And they're also hilarious. They can be so super funny. But their core weakness is anxiety. And so, like I said, they're in the head um, triad and they, all of those numbers deal with anxiety, but for six is particularly um, common. And this is really because they're constantly scanning and preparing for worst case scenarios. So they are looking at like their preppers, they are planners, they've got all their, their eyes dotted, their T's crossed when it comes to really anything. Uh, but their core longing is to really hear that they're safe. 
That's what they're looking for is safety, right? So at their best, they're going to be very loyal, likable, prepared, trustworthy people. They're extremely compassionate. They're some of the funniest humans you'll probably ever meet, probably have some witty like sarcasm going on. They're practical and very responsible. At their worst, they can become hypervigilant. They can become dependent on others that they've like attached themselves to, unpredictable. They can be a little bit judgmental. They can be paranoid, defensive, and self-doubting. And we'll talk about that in their episode too, um, that fear and the self-doubt. And they kind of believe that they don't, they've already played out this scenario in their mind. And if failure is an option, they don't want to engage. So that is a six. When they're healthy, they actually take on the positive qualities of a type nine. And when they're unhealthy, they take on the negative qualities of a type three. So that is your six. And as a three, you're connected to six and nine too. So you might see some of these, the characteristics of a six and a nine in yourself, depending on like when you're in health and unhealth. Yeah. When you were saying all that, I was like, Ooh, so is a three connected to a six in stress? So a th- um, you actually go to nine when you're stressed. Okay. And we haven't gotten to the negative characteristics, characteristics of a nine yet, but with, so what I would say as a three, you're probably going to become like more, more of a leadership role in like a group setting. You can be a really great team builder. You can be very like, you can just lead very well. So sometimes a three can get caught up in their own like plans Whereas like when you are healthy, you can really start to like activate a team and be more in this like conscious collective, like a leader in this like collective sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And that's really, so this just makes me want to point out, and I know I said this at the beginning of this podcast or before this podcast started that we're going to have mini episodes on each type explaining it more in depth and like action items for you to listen to if it's your type and based on your wing and everything. This is just a good example of what that's going to look like Mm -hmm. and how impactful that can be once you know your type and see how it's going to benefit you and how, how you can apply this to yourself. Totally. So it's so good. I'm so excited for the mini episodes too, because it's going to get a little bit deeper. So rounding out, we've got our last three right? Yes. Last three. Seven is the entertaining optimist and sevens love, most sevens love being sevens. When I mentioned that like a lot of times people will be like, Oh, like when they hear about themselves and they're like, God, I don't know how I feel about this. Most sevens are like, I love being a seven. What's not to like about being a seven. This is great. Um, and that's also a testament to their sevenness, but the core, their core fear is being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited, bored, or missing out on something exciting. Their core desire is to be happy, satisfied, and content. And we all want that. But for sevens, it deteriorates into this like frenetic escapism. So they can oftentimes be scattered, jump, jump ship, jump from like idea to idea, maybe never fully carrying out their plans on different ideas. And a lot of that has to do with if they become bored, if it becomes hard, if it becomes something they perceive as negative, they don't want to do it anymore. They're like, why would I waste my time on this? I'm going to jump ship to something that's, that's better. There's, so, there's always something better out there. And so their weakness is gluttony. And it's really more this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with experiences and stimulation. And they're really doing that to, in order to avoid emotional pain. And they pursue all these like fun, positive, stimulating activities. But what they really find is that they're never fully satisfied. Because they're, where they, what they need to learn is that they are 
to be present and that they have everything that they need right now to be happy. And their core longing is to know that they'll be taken care of. So sevens are also in this anxiety, you know, head triad. And most people would be like, and even sevens would be like, I'm not anxious. I don't have anxiety, but really it's, they do have this underlying anxiety and they're, but they're masking it with all of these positive experiences and they have a hard, they might have a hard time feeling their pain or discomfort or anxiety. Um, at their best, they're incredibly fun, loving, very spontaneous, imaginative people. They're super productive. They have lots of energy. They're enthusiastic, quick-witted, confident, charming people. Um, at their worst, they can become self-focused. They become very impulsive. Like I mentioned before, they can kind of default to escapism. They can be rebellious. They don't like being told or held back from doing what they want to do. Um, they can be distractive a little bit restless and sometimes self-destructive. So when they are healthy, they actually take on the positive qualities of a type five, which is kind of crazy because it's like two completely opposite people. And then when they're under stress, they actually take on the negative characteristics of a type one. So that is a seven. Yeah. I don't, I don't know any sevens. Oh my gosh. I know a lot of sevens. Well, and that's the thing. I probably do know more sevens. Yeah. Real, you know, like all of these. Mm Mm-hmm sevens they're just they're pretty unique and distinct and like laura my podcast partner is a seven through and through and like i know elena is a grazen and enthuse is an eight with a seven wing so she shares a lot of like those seven characteristics so you can now that you can kind of know more about a seven you probably be able to see it in some right. of the people around you a little bit i think more. so i think with five, six, and seven, who I knew very little about, like that makes sense that now I'll be able to start seeing them. Yeah, totally. Okay. So type eight, type eight is the protective challenger. Type eight also pretty much don't commonly mistype. Sometimes they might think they're a three or seven and eight might get a little blurry. Um, sometimes a one, but really most eights are like, Oh, nope, I'm an eight. Like no nine is going to think that they're an eight (laughs) or like, you know, it's, it's pretty clear, but they're the protective challenger. Their core fear is being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, manipulated, or at the mercy of injustice. And their core desire is to protect themselves. That's it. They want to protect themselves at all costs and everyone does. But for eights, this really deteriorates into constant fighting and conflicts because they're in their mind. They're going to, they're all out they're, What you see is what you get. They want truth and honesty at all costs. And so they're going to tell it like it is before you can hurt them and give you the chance to kind of mess up on your own sometimes, you know, cause they don't want to be betrayed. They don't want to feel like they are like being betrayed behind their back. They just need to know they want to know where they stand a hundred percent of the time. And so I mentioned like twos and threes walking into a room while well, eights walk into a room, what they're looking for and what they're sensing is power. They want to know who's in charge and they're going to assess if they, if someone is in charge, they're going to kind of assess the situation and determine if this person needs to be in charge or if they need to step up. And if no one's in charge, they're like likely to step into that role because they're sensing power. Their weakness is lust and excess. And that's really more toward, it's not like sexual lust or anything like that. It's more like this constant need for intensity, control, and self-extension. They really need to push everything and assert themselves willfully. 
Um, and their core longing is to know that they will not be betrayed. So it's a big, big fear of them. At their best, though, what people don't know sometimes about eights is that they can appear very abrasive and direct and confrontational, but really they're incredibly compassionate humans. They're so inspiring. They're they're resilient. They're very loyal. Like if it may be hard to get into their inner circle, but once you're there, they are gonna do everything in their power to protect you. Um, and they'll fight for you. They'll stand up for you. They'll stand up for the underdog. They're very concerned with social justice and justice in general. Um, and they can be very empowering leaders. Um, they're very self-confident. They have a lot of energy for the most part. Um, but at their worst, they can be loud. They can be vengeful, excessive, controlling, rebellious. They can be insensitive, domineering, self-centered, and skeptical they don't trust easily. Right. So they're constantly viewing the world through this lens of skepticism. Like, is this person really who they say they are? Are they being authentic? I'm not, they just, they're not quite sure. Um, at their best though, they're going to take on the healthy side of a type two and at their worst, they're going to take on the average to unhealthy qualities of a type five. So that is an eight. I love me some eights. I also surround myself with lots of eights. Um, I just trust them. And I feel protected and I feel safe. And I just, part of me also wishes sometimes that I had more of their qualities and characteristics. And so, you know, I think we do consciously or unconsciously seek out people that we want to be more like. I don't know. You'd mentioned you have some eights in your life, right? Yeah, so many eights. And I feel like eight is one of the most, maybe because it's such a dominant personality, but I, I feel like it's one of the easiest to really see. Didn't you say that it's really oh, uncommon yeah. to mistype? Yeah. Right? It's not very common to mistype. It's usually very, very obvious. I will say a lot of, it, it's kind of like an unfair thing. And a lot of, when you're a male eight, it's like, ooh, cool. He's like such a leader and he's so like, he's a dominant male and he's like taking the bulls by the horns. When you're a female eight, sometimes female eights, they can either really own it or they can struggle with it right? Because it's like society tells, you know, females oftentimes that like, don't be direct, don't be bold, don't be bossy, don't be blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And so sometimes eights can either, female eights can mask that or feel uncomfortable about how the way they truly are. So it's sometimes, that would be the only reason why it might be hard to know if you're an eight. I think an eight, well, I have like a personal anecdote here really quickly about eights and to kind of give anyone listening to this, whether you think you're an eight or not, just the understanding of how much your type can vary. And I almost feel like as you age, you become a healthier version of yourself for the most part. However, it's not always the case because I do know somebody who's a very unhealthy one, but my brother was pretty much a huge mess in college, like barely made it through. Not because he's not smart. He just partied a lot, like just didn't focus on school. Took him like several extra years to graduate. And now he keeps getting jobs as like CEOs of companies and is just super, super successful at running businesses and managing other people. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting how like you would look at him in college and think like that guy doesn't have a lot going for him. <laughs> and now he's, he's really successful. So I do think that like you can see how, just how much you can grow and change as a person and still fit within your type. 
Yes, totally. And there's levels of health and unhealth that you can go through. And so, yeah, you can definitely move in to those periods of life where you're in a much more healthy place and really tapping into your like unique strengths. And I think that's, you know, it's really, really beautiful in particular to see a healthy eight at work. It's also really, really scary to see an unhealthy eight sometimes, especially as a nine who's like, if I saw an unhealthy eight coming towards me, I would probably run away because I would like, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) Can't, can't do it. So the last number is the nine and this is the peaceful mediator. This is what I am. Um, the peaceful mediator, their core fear is being in conflict, loveless, shut out, discordant, overlooked, or inharmonious. Their core desire is to have inner and outer stability, uh, peace of mind, all, you know, just peace is what they're looking for. And everyone wants that to some degree, but for a nine, this can actually deteriorate into very stubborn neglectfulness because whether it's with themselves or with others, it's just easier to go along to to get along essentially. And so we can really become out of tune with our own needs, wants, desires, and it's just not a pretty sight for an unhealthy nine. So their weakness is sloth. And a lot of times people look at sloth and they're like, oh, they're slow. What are they just like, you know, sit on the couch all day. They're like little slugs, but really the sloth is more the desire to be unaffected by life. So we don't want to show up fully as ourselves. We don't want to know ourselves because that's hard. And if we, what if we find out about ourselves that, you know, it's something we don't like, or it's something we have a strong opinion about something that we have to share and we perceive that as conflict. So we're really asleep to ourselves, our own desires, needs, and abilities. And we, in an unhealthy state, we're going to resist bringing our full self to others and letting them know us. Our core longing is to also hear that our presence matters because we fully believe that it does not. And nines, again, walking into a room, a nine, when they walk into a room, this little anecdote is really they're, they're trying to sense conflict or discord. And they'll, they'll either gravitate toward it to try and soothe the situation because they want everyone to be happy or they'll just legit like turn away from it and run out of the room or, you know, just get as far away from it as possible. So that's kind of like the nine default at their best. They're really pleasant, peaceful people. They're super generous, patient, very open-minded and accepting of all types of people. They can, they kind of like to play devil's advocate. They're not going to be judgmental really at all. They're the people that you like to go to probably for just a, a good, shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen. Um, they're diplomatic they're, um, and very empathic. And at their worst, they're spaced out, forgetful, stubborn, obsessive, passive aggressive, because they also deal with anger. They're in the anger triad, and but they're not going to like really come outwardly and be like aggressive. They're going to really use their passive aggressiveness. Um, they can be judgmental and also unassertive. So when they're healthy, they actually look like a three. And that's why, again, like I mentioned, I, I typed as a three a lot. I'm going to take on positive qualities of a three. And then when they're unhealthy, they're actually going to look like a six, the unhealthy parts of a six. So those are the types in a nutshell. This was interesting to me, even like knowing about them, just because there were those few in the middle that I didn't know a lot about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so it's fascinating. Go next ahead. steps. Okay. People can figure out kind of what 
they can kind of get an idea of what they might be based on your descriptions. You did a really good job explaining everything, but where would they find a test? Because I know there's a bunch out there. Some of them are paid. Which one do you recommend they take if they really want to kind of get an idea of what they are? Yeah. So the ready is the gold, the quote unquote gold standard. It's um, the Riso Hudson Enneagram test. And those are just two of the, the people that are like OG Enneagram people that came up with this test. And it's paid. It's $12. I would say it's probably the most accurate, but even, even so, I think the statistic is something like, it's still only about like 80% accurate. So again, like you might get a number and it might not resonate fully. So you want to continue to explore. And then the other one I like is the one from your Enneagram and it's free. There are some, like, I think at the end, I don't think the questions have a religious undertone, but at the end, the descriptors might have some sort of like a religious undertone, but I really, regardless of that, whether you want um, secular or non-secular test, I still think that the, the questions are really good. And if you can kind of like take or leave the religious aspect of it, if that's not your thing, then I think it's a really good free test and a very accurate test. I totally agree. So the first one that you mentioned has a paid version and a free version. And I do not like that free version mm-hmm. of that first one. Um, but I thought the one that you said, the second one you said, your Enneagram coach, that's the one that mm-hmm. I found to be really accurate and had other people take as well. Yeah. And it gives you like percentages and like your top three, which the ready does too. So, but it's, it gives you a lot of information. Right. I agree. Okay. So we'll link to those in the blog post for this episode. I'm curious, why do you think it would be impactful for an entrepreneur specifically to know what their types, their type is? Oh my God. I, I think it's been so impactful. It's hard to like really nail this down, but knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses is not only like personally helpful in terms of like relationships, but like knowing what your struggles might be. Truthfully, entrepreneurship is hard. And I'm not just, I mean, it's easier for some types, but like in general, it's taking a leap of faith. Oftentimes it's the unknown. It is creating a new routine and structure for yourself. It's learning new things. It's a lot of like stress, both good and bad, like you stress and, and bad stress. And so knowing in advance how you might respond to jumping, jumping out into entrepreneurship is huge because you can build in ways to protect yourself, ways to minimize those times of stress and also just that awareness around it. Cause sometimes we, we just think this, like, this is just who we are in times of stress. Like our behaviors, this is just who we are. This is how we are. I'm always anxious. You know, I always get this way, but knowing that like, Hey, this is just a signal that maybe something like we need therapy or we need to take a break or we need to reset. It's going to be so powerful when, when, and if you do jump into entrepreneurship, because like every day is different, at least in my experience. And knowing that about yourself is just going to help you better transition, help you better like live life, life in a more smooth way. I don't know. I mean, you recently jumped into like this whole work, work for yourself type thing. Do you feel like it's been helpful for you? Yeah. I mean, especially since, and it's fairly recently been fairly recent that I realized that I was a three and not a one. Mm -hmm. And 
So I'm still kind of working through what that means for me and how I can apply it. Mm -hmm. But I definitely tend towards workaholism and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of like last night, I was up until 11 working on backend stuff. It's just, there's so much to entrepreneurship that people don't see, you know, there's all the forward facing stuff. And then there's for every 20% of your time spent on the forward facing stuff, there's 80% of time spent on stuff that you never even Mm -hmm. see and realize is happening. And I get really sucked into like the the meticulous details of that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so then I just am working all the time. Yeah. Um, And I can't wait to jump into the mini episodes because like, that's where, because everyone can be a good entrepreneur, but, but certain types might struggle with particular things. Like for instance, you know, like a one, it's going to be, they're going to be, they have the potential to be amazing. Their attention to detail, their planning, their, you know, they want everything done right is so great, but it can also be paralyzing, right? Like they need to be on the lookout for the for themselves holding themselves back because they want XYZ to be perfect before they push play on a program or a course or anything, an Instagram post. I mean, my gosh, they can like comb through it and like rip it apart over and over and over again. And so like, those are just things that's where I think it's really handy, like to know yourself and be like, okay, it's never going to be perfect. Got to just push post, you know? So Right. Well, and knowing what your team members are as Mm -hmm. well. So whether you're a network marketer and this is people in your downline or whether it's an assistant that you have, my virtual assistant is a one and she and I were just chatting yesterday about her workload and like what I can do to support her. And because I knew that I said, okay, I know that because you're a type one, you need these things from me. I'm going to do better to provide you with that, like with more of a plan, more structure all of those Mm -hmm. things. So Mm -hmm. I think that aside from like a solopreneur of knowing yourself, it's also really impactful to be able to know how you can coach and communicate with your team better. Totally. 100%. Or your clients if you're doing one-on-one work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that wraps up the episode. We're going to end this with some fun kind of rapid fire entrepreneurial questions. And Jess, you've been an entrepreneur now for, has it been like a year and a half? Around. Yeah. Around about part-time to full-time transition was kind of like blended, but yes. Awesome. So let's talk about some questions about how you made that work and how how your life looks now. So what's something that you wish you would have known or that you would have done differently when you first started your business? So let's start with when you, you drop down to part-time work. So you quit your full-time job and mm-hmm. took a part-time job. Right. So I quit my full-time job, took a part-time job um, with Cassie. So I was part of a team, a different blogger as a support. And then I was also doing my own thing on the, like, still kind of like the semi side. And I wish I would have known that it was going to be so hard for me to create structure. I, I just didn't know how much I craved structure and like the stability of someone else telling me like, here's what to do. And here's when you do it and you clock in now and you can turn off at 5 PM. You can literally stop working. And with entrepreneurship, you can be working every single hour of every single day if you want to. And so I wish I would have set more clear boundaries with my work time in the beginning, because now it's like going back and trying to like reclaim some of that space is so hard. 
I know you know that what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's fair. <laughs> it is hard. It's something that I'm I'm still working through is trying to find that balance. Yeah. Okay. What's a hobby that you are currently devoting time to, but that you're not trying to monetize? Oh my gosh. I saw this question. And I had the hardest time. I was like, I truly don't know. I know. Uh, that's like the mindset of an entrepreneur. Here. It's like, oh, I love doing this. How can I turn it into a course? Or how can I like, you know, write a blog post about it? I would say the things that, I mean, I don't, it's not maybe not hobbies, but the things that I do for just me right now are reading fiction. And like, there's really a, no way to monetize that, that I'm, that I know of, unless I want to start writing fiction, but reading fiction. And I do write about that. So I don't think that's necessarily monetizing, but I share about walking and then listening to other podcasts. But again, I also have a podcast, so I don't know if that counts. I, I don't know. I truly don't have a hobby, which is really sad and makes me want to get a hobby immediately. I know me too. So anybody <laughs> who's listening to this and is an entrepreneur, like find something that you can yeah. devote time to. You don't ever plan to monetize. Yeah, totally. What are your top tips for somebody who is wanting to start their own business? Oh man, you know, it's funny because if I depend, it depends on what number I was talking to, what I would would tell them. But if you're someone like me, who you know, jumping into the unknown is anxiety producing, or it feels scary, or there's a lot of fear around it, I would say. Number one, it was helpful for me to plan, to have a plan, to talk through what it would look like, to know like the numbers involved. So like when I was, you know, even dropping down to part-time and transitioning slowly, it was like, okay, where can I cut back on? And like, how long am I going to give myself to try this entrepreneurship thing before I start looking and seeing if it's like working for me. That was comforting for me. And that's not probably the case for everybody. Like maybe not everybody has those same fears, but it's really help for me, helpful for me to have like a business plan and a potential exit strategy should I need to like pivot. And so that was probably my first tip. Second tip is to expect that it's going to be hard. I mean, maybe it's not, maybe you jump in and you're like immediately making tons of money and it's the best thing ever and you love doing it and no, no day is ever, you never get a no, <laughs> that would be amazing, but expect, especially in something like, you know, network marketing, direct sales, or even like marketing yourself that there are going to be days when nobody's buying what you're selling. Nobody care. Nobody's liking your Instagram posts. You're going to get feedback from friends and family and maybe it's not so great. And maybe it hurts a little bit. And just to know that like there's ups and downs and that one person's opinion or one post that doesn't do well or one course launch that wasn't the greatest is not the end of the world. And that there are plenty of other opportunities to come back from that and to tweak and everything. One of my favorite sayings is failure is only feedback. It's not necessarily like that you failed. It's really just information to either change or pivot or do something different. Right. And so, just because you have something that's not successful right at, right from the get-go doesn't mean that it can't be successful. 100%. And you have to like shelf it. And yeah. I've had this with several of my products that literally didn't sell and then just a, a repositioning of the exact same product and now it sells daily. So there, it really is just like learning from those failures. Those 100%. were great. 
Yeah, thanks. I, you know, and I want to add one more. And this is something that my mentor, Cassie, told me. And it's just like, I keep repeating it over and over in my mind, but she told me, it was, I was having a downtime in like my business and like, I was just feeling like, what in the world am I doing? And she said, this business is not, she said, just keep swimming. Consistency in efforts and not consistency in results is what makes this business successful. So like, if you're constantly judging yourself by your results, like that's going to be hard, but judging yourself by, do you show up every day for your business? Do you do something every day to move yourself forward, to build, to grow, and you're not jumping ship? Like that's really what's going to get you a year from now to where you want to be. Not like your big wins, like every couple of months or weeks or years. It's like that daily effort. So keep swimming. Love that. Me too. That's really Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jess, thank you so, so much for giving me so much of your time over the course of like, I love it. It's so funny because when we recorded the first part of this episode, both of us were living in different houses. Oh my God. I was living in a different state. There was not a global pandemic. Those were the days, man. Oh gosh. (laughs) Crazy how much has happened um, between starting this and like finishing this. But Mm -hmm. I want to kind of circle back to you and what you've been working on during this pandemic. Cause I know you have a Enneagram resource ready for people, right? Do you want to share that? Yeah. So I, and like I said, it's been crazy. There's been lots of plans that have been put on hold because of the pandemic stuff. But um, what I do have created right now is I'm doing a series of um, Enneagram basic workshops. And so those are available you know, we're right in the middle of it right now, the live versions, but those will be available for purchase like replays. If you're just like, oh my gosh, I really want to get a good solid foundation. They're super affordable. So those are, that's one of the big projects I'm working on. And then I'm going to be working on, I also do one-on-one Enneagram coaching, which is always available for people who really want to like deep, deep dive. And then I'm going to be creating, hopefully by the time this goes live, just a downloadable resource for a lot of the stuff we're talking about Enneagram for entrepreneurship. So those are the big things. And then hopefully of course, because Anne told me that I need to make one and I'm going to do it. Yeah. So Jess is going to follow Mama's Course <laughs> Academy and you're going to use that to figure out what the best course, like the best spin on the Enneagram is to create your course. But I'm really hoping, and I feel like it will be, but I'm really hoping that that ends up being like an Enneagram for entrepreneurs course, because yeah. just in my heart, I feel like it is so needed and would be so impactful to any like side hustler, beauty counter owner, like anybody who's wanting to work with other people and, or like nutritionist, health coach, like anybody it would just be so helpful. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to get on it. You've, you've inspired me. Yeah. <laughs> we were texting before this and you were like, I'm going to start in July. And I'm like, it's July, Jess. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh shoot, it is July. <laughs> nine problems I swear it's like oh wait (laughs) supposed to be on that already (laughs) well tell everyone where they can find you yes absolutely so you can find me I love connecting on Instagram I'm just dot hold the space um on Instagram I also have a website with um 
lots of other resources, food and wellness and things of that nature at jessgertner.com. Um, my last name is a little bit weird, but it's J-E-S-S-G-A-E-R-T-N-E-R.com. And I have a podcast as well, the Modern Mamas podcast. It's, I have so many different varied interests, but that's where we talk about motherhood and motherhood transition and all sorts of things related to um, just life in general. So those are the, the three main places you can find me, but I would love to connect. Yep. And I love connecting with you in all of those places. So I definitely <laughs> suggest like checking out Jess in all of the different areas. And you are like a, on a content creation. A kick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's wonderful. So definitely check her out. Everything will be linked in the show notes. I'm not sure if I'm going to put this into a blog post or not, because it is like a beast of uh, a podcast a series. <laughs> so check the show notes and that way you can get links to everything that we share. Perfect. Thanks thank for having so me, much. friends. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Absolutely. Before I hit that outro music, I want to remind you that Jess and I also recorded deep dive mini episodes for each type. If you are a coach or a mentor, you work one-on-one -on -one with clients, you have an MLM business and a team underneath you, I do think that you have so much to gain from listening to all of the mini episodes to learn more about how you can support the various types in your life. But if nothing else, it is going to be so helpful for you to listen in to the types that you think you might relate to. We share struggles that each type might encounter as an entrepreneur, actionable tips for overcoming those, and how your wing customizes your type. I will be releasing three mini episodes each day for the next three days, so one mini episode on each type. Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in and get more actionable information on the Enneagram for Entrepreneurs. Wait, don't go yet. You've reached the end, which can only mean one thing. You loved this episode. If I can ask for one simple favor, it'd be for you to leave Profit Meets Passion a quick review on iTunes. These reviews help to support the show and help other wellness entrepreneurs find it too. While you're there, make sure to subscribe and share this episode with your biz bestie and Instagram community. You can tag me at grassfedsalsa. Finally, you can head over to profitmeetspassion.com for all the links I referenced in this podcast. See you next week.